Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books with the writers who create them. By the end of these conversations, we hope that you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and new information to ponder. Absolutely. I love that. I love that, Patty. Thank you for that. Um, I think this is a great time to segue to our excerpt. You prepared one to read, correct? Sure. Um, And this honestly was um, a big part of the reason that um, I wrote my second book. So the book that you described called I'm Still Not Done was actually a second edition to a book called I'm Not Done that I wrote about five years ago. Here's the excerpt. It's from chapter four of my book called Gender and Ageism, The Double Whammy. One of the most consistent and persistent questions I get, often expressed as more of a declaration, sounds something like this. Ageism is worse for women, right? Well, for better or worse, I often try to deflect or at least redirect that question. Let me take you back to when I was first thinking about writing a a book. I absolutely wanted to expose how real and how widespread ageism is. As I often say, ageism is the one form of discrimination that can impact every single one of us. We all get older, regardless of race, gender, sexual identity or preference, religion, even political leaning. We all age and as a result are a potential victim of ageist thinking and discrimination. I knew the problem was real and widespread and I really wanted to start a movement to get as many people riled up about this as possible. In my thinking, there was power in numbers, so I was greedy, and I wanted everyone to join the Ageism Sucks Parade without focusing on women in particular. And I must acknowledge, having come of age as a woman in business in the 80s and 90s, I was also afraid that if I framed ageism as a so-called women's issue, that a lot of men might stop listening. And to be super clear, I want men to listen. Men are impacted by ageism in the workplace in a big way. So whoever you are, please don't lose that point as you read the rest of this chapter. Ageism in the workplace can and does impact us all, but it's worse for women. There, I said it. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Please don't stop listening, but also please hear us. Yeah, exactly. For organizations who aren't sure that, you know, there being ages in the workplace, uh, how, you talk about in the book uh, how you have a how you can how they can use a mirror test to determine if um, th- they themselves or their organizations are being ageist. Can you talk about that and, and what that entails? Sure. And I, I, you know, I guess my nature is to be a little bit of an optimist more than a pessimist. But I will say that I w- I am gratified by how often I talk to you know senior leaders in companies, be it HR or otherwise, and you know, I'll, I'll ask them, do you call out ageism in your DEI training? Or is it even listed in your, you know, policy? And a lot of times people say, I don't know, I better check. And sometimes they say, oh, I don't think it is. But never do they say, absolutely, it's not in our policy because it's not a problem. We don't need to address it. They just haven't thought about it. Um, and they don't realize that they have a problem. So this is where I, my chapter is called the mirror test, where I you know, try to show organizations some ways that they can just really be honest about where they fit sort of on the um, spectrum of dealing with age-related discrimination. And it starts, as obvious as this is, it's worth saying, I think it starts with just being willing to look 
and accept what the answers are, even if they don't necessarily frame your company in the way that you would like. So one of the easiest things to do is really do an employee census. Um, and by that, you know, you can, you somewhere in your organization, you have all of the data that would tell you how old your current workforce is. And so just like Herman Miller, who I referenced earlier, sort of used it to understand whether they might have a retirement cliff that they were about to fall off on. I know another company that used it to say, okay, 80% of our employees are under 40 and only 20% are over 40. And that does not mirror the population. The population demographics are very different. And I, I'm not saying every organization has to exactly mirror the population, but you should try to get fairly close because you need to sell your product or your service to you know a wide um, offering. So that's um, certainly an easy thing for someone to figure out. The other place is, again, just to look at your policy. Does it explicitly call out age as one of the um, segments that we should be looking out for and making sure that we are recruiting, hiring, retaining people um, who are over 40, which is the legally protected age, by the way. Then there are, and training for that matter. Like I sat through a couple years ago at an employer who I won't name by name, but a um, two and a half hour session with a break and then another two and a half hours on DE&I training that never once referenced age, never once, you know? And so is your training helping all, you know, helping people understand, and it's not just understanding how not to be ageist. It's also, it's understanding how to work with people of multiple ages. We have the potential today to have five generations in the workplace. So we're all going to be better off if we understand um, how to work successfully in a multi-generational workforce. Um, some of the other things are a little bit more um, subtle and soft, but you know, if you, let's say you're doing all those things right, you've got, yeah. you know, you're addressing age in your um, policy, you're addressing it in your training, but your external facing websites show only faces of bright, shiny young people and don't yeah. reflect the fact that maybe if you have gray hair or you're of a certain age, there still is a place for you in that organization. You know, th that just sends a, a very subliminal signal, but it sends a signal nonetheless. So those are just a few of the examples, but um, they're not hard to do and they would really help you sort of understand. Absolutely. I love that. And I, and of course I love, cause it's about representation too, at the end of the day, right? Everybody wants to not only feel heard, right. Or be heard, excuse me, but everyone wants to feel seen as well. And it's interesting, a little side note, but this was, um, a wonderful endeavor undertaken by AARP. And I know you quoted them a couple of times, um, but they, took it upon themselves to change stock art. So like a lot of people use, you know, go to websites where you can just buy um, art to put on your website or and your brochures or all the rest of it. And they realized that all of the art of older people showed them in some sort of compromised decline position. So they were on a mission to sort of change the imagery that is out there of older people. And I think they've had, it's had some impact. So that's a positive, that's a, a positive change since I wrote my first book. Absolutely. We've talked about a lot here, Patty. I really want to get into some strategies. We're, in, we're on that plane here for organizations. Uh, in the book, you talk about five tips for mentoring employees over 50. Can you give us those? Yeah, I, I think it's the the main part of it. And I don't know, this probably doesn't necessarily fall into mentoring, but it's just to um, see them. 
and, you know, ask them about what their experience has been at the company. Do they ever experience ageism? One of the most commonly repeated words I heard when I interviewed um, older workers for my book was invisible. I felt invisible at a certain point in time. And so just literally seeing older workers and asking them to share what their experience has been like, I think is a great thing. The other, and I'm you know a huge believer in the value of um, sort of cross mentorship. And one of the biggest sort of euphemisms that is often used to hide sort of ageist thinking is, you know, well, I really want a digital native, you know, which really just means somebody who grew up with Instagram and a phone in their hand, you know, and what that does is limit older people who did not, you know, grow up with Instagram or a phone in their hand. And so, but you bring those two people together and mentor the, you know, the older person, like I'm in marketing. So there is no universe where I don't need to understand the value of TikTok, Instagram, you know, all the new platforms that are out there. They may not be as intuitive or native to me. So I would love nothing more than to get some mentorship from a younger employee who has lived with them about what they see a value in it and how they work with it. But then I'm also able to mentor them about what it's like to introduce change to people and what it's like to, um, you know, bridge from sort of one platform to another, you know, and, and the other thing is if you are willing to, you know, sort of be um, forward thinking and honest with your employees about their future, you know, one of the things that I discovered is um, that in performance reviews, you know, we're all trained at the beginning if we're giving a review or receiving a review to have that section where we have this meaningful conversation about your trajectory. Where can you go? What do you need to learn and develop? And what might be some opportunities for you? And, you know, both the employer and the employee participate in this. That part of the performance review sort of stops happening when people are 50. And so it shouldn't, because again, it doesn't, it, it might not be the traditional trajectory of this level, a next level up, the next level up, but there are things that that person can do. And so it was part of a mentorship program to, or a opportunity to help an older worker think about differently about what they might want. Uh, because I'm not, you know, we all need to, we all need to participate in this. I need to be open-minded that maybe, you know, if I want to work in five years, um, I may need to think about a different kind of career path than the one that I was on. If I want to retire rather than five years, I might need to think differently about my career path. But if I'm working with a mentor that's helping me do that, I can do it in a way that is a win for the organization and a win for me. I'm still not done. Uh, it talks about 10 steps to creating an anti-ageism organization. We don't have to go through all 10. What would you say is... Um, I guess you would say number one, where, where does a business leader start to creating an anti-ageism organization? The most important thing that anyone can do to make sure that an organization is not ageist is to be very honest and sort of search um, within your purpose, the purpose that drives you as an employer and the purpose that drives you as an organization. And if it is truly to create you know, a diverse workplace, then you have to consider, you know, all segments of it, including age and challenge yourself to just make sure it's genuine. I think we all know that when those, um, 
those motives are not sort of driven from the right place, they tend to fizzle out or fall short. So that is really the first thing is to really challenge your own personal biases and attitudes and make sure that you're ready to lead this to the horizon. And then once you are, there are you know, many things that you can do. You can create an employee resource group that is focused on issues that are impacting older workers. I know um, I wrote about um, Leo Burnett, who's part of the publicist organization, an ad agency who did just that. And what's interesting is their, their group is called Sages, and I loved the name of it, but they discovered very quickly that it was better that it was being used as a multi-generational. So it wasn't yeah. just talking to older workers about issues older workers faced. It was putting older workers in the same room with younger workers. So this mentoring thing that we talked about happened. Um, yeah. You can be um, very explicit in any job posting and say things like all ages are welcome to apply. Um, you can think about where you're recruiting and maybe you are not just recruiting at typical college campuses and things like that, but you are looking to organizations that might focus on um, senior citizens who might be, you know, still vital and have a lot to contribute. There are, there are also, as I said, you know, sort of subtle things like making sure that when you host employee events, that you are not sort of so, deep diving into sort of what your youngest generation wants to do, but making sure that your events, again, feel welcoming to all. But it all really does start with that, you know, honest assessment of, do we have a problem? And if we do, am I, do I care enough? And am I strong enough to make some change? Because it's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's going to take a sustained commitment. Great tips, and thank you for sharing those. Final question for you. It's my favorite question out of the whole podcast here. Patty, what does your next chapter look like? Well, my next chapter is really full and exciting, and I am continuing, you know, this, um, as you could probably tell, talking about ageism has become a passion of mine. I don't know that I have another book in me, but maybe I do, and I certainly am going to you know, keep raising awareness and speaking out and talking about it as much as I can, because I think that, um, you know, my biggest hairy goal on this, honestly, is to create a bit of a movement um, and get more people, you know, to speak out and make sure that we change that. So that's really sort of top of my agenda, but I continue to just stay active in the marketing business and the marketing circles. And um, I got a new puppy um, who's only three months. So I'm trying to train my new puppy and um, continuing to do the things that I do in my life that help me stay, feel like I'm staying on top of my game, healthy and all those good things. Um, so I have a busy, full, happy life. I'm very blessed. That's amazing. I love it. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. And of course, I know uh, our listeners can get the book on Amazon. Uh, is it available anywhere else? Yeah, it's a little harder other places, but you really can get it at any bookstore. And you also can find out more um, about the topic by going to my website, which is just pattytemplerocks.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Patty, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time. 
I appreciate your interest and your smart questions. I enjoyed being on the podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. To our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter at HR Pages, and we're also now available on iTunes and Spotify. Again, I'm Bianca Herring. Join us next time when we turn the page.